Today we're going to be in Acts 13, 42 through 52, and it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here, so let me kind of bring you up to speed as far as what we've studied up to this point. The last time we were in the book of Acts, we were looking at the sermon that was preached by Paul the Apostle in the synagogue located at Antioch of Pisidia. And so we have a map of Paul's first missionary journey. And you'll notice on the bottom or the right portion that this is where the missionary journey started. They were in Antioch of Syria. God did such an amazing work in that church. It became a launching pad for missionaries. It was there in Antioch of Syria that they were first called Christians. So this first missionary journey, they traveled over to Cyprus, which is the island that Barnabas was from. They evangelized the island. Then they went up and uh, they went, sailed west and north to Perga, and they traveled all the way up to Antioch of Pisidia, which a lot of people believe is actually the, the area of Galatia. And so it's here that Paul the Apostle preached this amazing sermon that we studied in Acts 13, 16 through 41. And when you read the sermon, it's all about the history of Israel, his story, God's story of salvation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also known as Israel. And, and basically, it was him presenting to the people Jesus Christ uh, in the flesh, God, in his humanity, a descendant of David, who was the Savior, who is the Savior of the world. As a matter of fact, uh, look real quick at Acts 13 and verse 23. It says, from this man's seed, speaking of David's seed, from this man's seed, according to the promise, and we're talking about hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, to this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior. His name is Jesus. You know, David was telling me about his, his brother who, who was passing away, and, and as he's passing away and he's dying, he's just saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. And I've been uh, to Greater El Monte. I remember one time a guy got stabbed 16 times. I remember there in the emergency room, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. That's all you have to do when it comes from the heart. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when Paul is preaching this sermon, he's, he's, he just brings them to Jesus, the, the Savior, right? And he covers Israel's history in his passage, and, and he leads them to the Lord who we know was crucified on a cross, put in a grave, rose again according to the prophecy that had been predicted back in Psalm 1610, a thousand years before it happened, that he would rise from the dead. He would not see corruption. Paul went over all these points in his sermon and then he begins to conclude it, if you would, look at verse 38 of chapter 13. He says, therefore, and that's kind of conclusive words, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, capital M, this is Jesus, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And so in that sermon, you know, Paul was preaching forgiveness of sins to all who have fallen. And, you know, and that's our greatest need, you guys. Whatever, you know, you come from, we've all messed up, we've all blown it. We all need to be forgiven of our sins. He uses another word right here, justified. 
And what that means is one day, it's a legal term, one day you and I, we're all going to stand before the judge. And what justification is, is a legal declaration of righteousness in God's sight. And so, you know, you've ever been to court, have you ever been there, you're either guilty or innocent, right? You're standing before the judge. Well, that will happen one day when you stand before Christ. Will you be forgiven of your sins? Will you be justified? And then you wonder, well, how? How can I be forgiven, man? Because I messed up. I've done all these things. I thought these thoughts and you name it. And the answer is right there. Paul is preaching it. Everyone who believes. I mean, you don't have to do a thousand push-ups or jump through hoops or have ceremonies or, you know, your good works outweigh your bad works because you'll never be able to be good enough to go to heaven on your own righteousness. All you have to do is place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Man, this is the most important thing. You know, it's crazy the things that we, we see nowadays. These people who have everything, they've got fame, they've got fortune, and they take their life. You know, in a crowd this big, there are some here who have thought about suicide. I mean, I talked to some last service who have thought about suicide. They want to take their life. Some here are struggling with porn. Some here are struggling with drugs. Some here are struggling with drinking. Some here whose marriage is on the rocks. Some here who just they have this depression, this anxiety. They don't want to go outside the house. I mean, you name it. We live in a fallen world, and so many things are happening to us. And you're wondering, well, I tried this, that, and the other. Nothing seems to be working. It's because you need Jesus. Not just half heart, whole heart. Give him your heart. Believe in him. All you have to do is believe in him. I know it sounds crazy, but it's free. And that's the message that, that Paul was sharing. Everyone who believes is justified. Everyone who believes is forgiven. And so, you know, it's an awesome message of the love of God for the people. And so, uh, after this message... We read in verse 42, our text today, and so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up or had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. You know, and so it's a blessing to read here that they begged them, hey, you guys, you got to come back next week. Come back next week and, and preach that message. They wanted to hear more uh, of the, the message of God's love and salvation and how they can be forgiven of their sins. You know, they were hungry spiritually. So that's a, a blessing that they begged them to come back. But it's even more of a blessing that many of the Jews and some of the proselytes who were Gentiles that had converted to Judaism, that they followed Paul and Barnabas after the sermon and they just said to them, we want to hear more now. You know, it wasn't just, hey, can you come back next week and preach again? No, they followed them. It would be like you following me. 
after the service. That would be exciting, you know? Say, hey, Manny, let's go to Baby Bros together, man. I, I'll treat you to pizza, and I want to talk more about what you're talking about. You know, hey, Manny, let's hang out this week, you know? I don't know what you got going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever. You know, it would be like you coming back to a midweek service, bringing your children on a Thursday night so they could learn the word of the Lord. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a, a Sabbath thing. It's throughout the week. That's where they were. They followed them. So that they could hear more, man. And, and when you read this, what a blessing it is. And I'll tell you this, that's why the church is, is dwindling around the world. Thank God, you know, we're, we're hanging in there here in Calvary Chapel and Calvary Chapel Almani, man. But I'm telling you this, if you're not careful, the world has a way of taking you away from fellowship. And next thing you know, you only become a Sunday Christian. And then after that, uh, every other Sunday Christian. And then after that, you know, maybe once a month, man. And we need this conviction. We need this hunger. This is what they had, right? And so as they do follow Paul and Barnabas, did you notice what we read there in verse 43? Again, when the congregation had been dismissed, many of the Jews and these proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, it says there in verse 43, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And, and that is packed with so much potential, but, but what does it mean to continue in the grace of God? At least three things. Number one, it means to continue from Judaism to Christianity. You know, because it kind of in one sense, Judaism was a religion that kind of had a stamp on it that said to be continued. You know, when you really read Judaism as part one, uh, Christianity is part two. What it is, is uh, it's a new covenant that God would establish that would follow the first covenant. That's why we read in Jeremiah 31, 31, it says in the Old Testament, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so the writer to Hebrews, he says, if the old covenant was sufficient, there would be no need for a new covenant. But the old covenant was not sufficient. We just got done reading that that law could not forgive you. It could only cover your sins, that that law couldn't justify you before God. And so you have to continue in the grace of God. Make sure you guys don't stop short. You go from Judaism into Jesus, into Christianity, right? And so we read in John 1.17, the contrast. It says in John, uh, the gospel, chapter 1, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas, they told them who followed them after that synagogue service to continue in the grace of God, to truly go from law to love, man, to life, to grace. That, that's one thing it means. Another thing it means is to continue in Christianity. Not only go from Judaism to Christianity, but once you become a Christian, man, man it's kind of like, to use simple words, stay there. You know, don't go back to your vomit. That's what the dogs do, you know. That's what he's saying. You know, stay there. You're going to get hit hard. It's not easy. It's radical stuff. You're going to get persecuted for your faith, especially them then, you know, for being a Christian. But man, don't stop believing. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. I always tell you guys, don't split. Don't quit, right? 
Because that's really the only way you can lose is if you quit. And so to continue in the grace of God, there is a temptation, you know, to wake up in the morning and not read your Bible or not pray, not seek the Lord, do your own thing. It's like you're, you're like going against the flow of the world. You can visualize yourself like a salmon swimming upstream, right? You're going against the flow of the world and even the grain of who you are, so it's not easy. But man, if I could say one thing to you, because I want you, we want you to go to heaven, is man, continue in your Christianity. Continue in the grace of God, man, because so many, they should be here, man, they're in Vegas now. They're in bars now, when they used to sit in the same seats you're sitting in. This is so important for us, continue from Judaism to Christianity, continue in Christianity. And then the third thing is when you are a Christian, continue in a gracious Christianity, man. And and it's important for us as Christians that we don't just commence with grace, but we continue in grace, you know? That you don't just begin by faith and then think, well, now I'm going to be perfected by the flesh. No, it's the Spirit. It's the grace. It's the Lord. I mean, when you, before you were a Christian, you were dead. He gave you life. Now that same grace is going to change us. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said, it's by the grace of God, I am who I am. You know, and you want to change, and you want to be more like Jesus, man, and you want power in your life. It's going to be the grace of God. You're never going to earn it. He's going to give it to you when you ask by faith. It's the grace of God. You know, um, knowing how much he's forgiven you, right? I mean, you guys look in the mirror. How many of you acknowledge the fact that you're all messed up, right? So he's forgiven you all your sins, man. And then we extend that grace to others. And that's how we live. It's this grace land. It's this place of grace. It's so amazing. And, And you don't get beat up by the enemy. You don't let him condemn you. You don't let him fall, you know, make you fall short. You know, God can do anything in your life. God can do things in you and through you and still bless your life. You know, some people feel, well, I've blown it so bad, man, that there's no way God can do anything really good with my life. And and God has a a way of taking those, you know, those wrecks and, and making them trophies of his grace. I mean, the one in the Bible that I think of a lot is Peter. I can identify a lot with Peter. Because sometimes he said things he shouldn't have said. Sometimes he was under the influence of the devil. You guys remember that? <laughs> you know, um, and then when the you know, push time came to shove, what ended up happening is he should have been praying. He wasn't praying. Started following Jesus at a distance. Started warming himself by the enemy's fire. Hanging out with the wrong people. Next thing you know, he does something. He says, I don't even know Jesus. I mean, oh yeah, you were with him. I don't even know him. I swear I don't even know him. But what ends up happening after Jesus rises from the dead and tells the ladies to go tell the disciples and Peter, he singles him out. Then when Peter goes fishing, Jesus goes after him and he brings him in. He restores him three times. And what does God do with the man who messed up so bad is God uses his life, him, that one, the failure of the group, that one to lead the church. Maybe that's you. 
If you can understand the grace of God in your life, if you can understand how he has forgiven you, I'm not saying abuse it, but use it. I'm just saying, man, you got to understand that because this is what helps us to carry on. When we enter into a performance-oriented relationship with God where we think we earn it, where we deserve it, where we're good enough, then we cannot be used by God. And so when they're following Paul and Barnabas, he tells them, continue in the grace of God. He persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And, and as a result of that, I think that God does a good work there in that city. And it's so amazing because look what happens in verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. You know what, you guys? When we started the church in Almani, I didn't just want to start a church. The Lord placed a particular community on my heart. It was the city of Almani because I had grown up in it. I got taken out when my dad got shot in a drive-by shooting. He lived, but I ended up living with my uh, an uncle. When I got saved over in West Covina, he laid this community on my heart. We didn't just start a church to start a church and I remember when I went street witnessing in Valley Mall, and I just said, somebody, please get saved so I can have a Bible study at your house. And so, you know, people were getting saved, but they didn't live in Almani. And they said, well, you can have a Bible study in my house. And I said, where do you live? And they told me the city. I'm like, well, I can't. God's called us to this city. God's called me to Almani. And so, you know, for me to hear this verse right here where it says almost the whole city came to hear the word of the Lord. I'll be honest with you, that right there is my dream come true. Man, that the whole city would come to Christ, that the whole city, why are they gathered together? Is there a carnival or something? Are they giving away free iPads? You know, why is the whole city there? Notice what they they want to hear the word of the Lord. And I'll just tell you, it's a blessing to just read about people who hunger after God's word. You know, to know that there are some out there who just want the, the Bible. They, they want to go to a, a church where the Bible is taught and opened up and, and expounded upon, book by book, chapter by chapter, line upon line, word by word. Not the pastor you know, teaching the word of men or not the pastor picking, choosing, and using only what he thinks is important out of the Bible, but acknowledging the fact that every book of the Bible is important. Therefore, you should teach the whole Bible. To me, that's exciting to think that somebody would hunger after the Bible, after Leviticus, after Ecclesiastes. You know, teach me what the book of Philemon is all about because you hunger after the word of God. That's where they were. The whole city came together to hear the word of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, you guys, that's, in the, that's a very important place for us to be as believers. Do we really hunger for the word. Healthy Christians do. You know, unfortunately, we live in a society where most are not interested in God's message, but here we read in Acts about a whole city that was, almost the whole city. And, and to me, it's kind of cool. Just as a quick side note, how, how can we get the whole city here? You know, you don't read about Paul and Barnabas buying a billboard you know, you don't read about them, you know, making a commercial and put, put it on the local television station. Uh, they didn't get a full-page ad out of the Antioch uh, Tribune or anything like that. You know, what had happened was they just fed the flock, they gave them God's word, and then the people 
they went out and they told others. This is like a good restaurant. I have a friend who's he's given me a couple of good pointers. They're over there in Echo Park and Silver Lake. There's the best uh, Japanese ramen. I'm serious. You guys like Japanese ramen? Go there. It's the best. How do I know? I've eaten it. It's good. How many of you like good food? Go there, right? Or there's the, the world's ble- best shrimp burritos in Santa Ana. I'm telling you, man. And so, you know, that's how it is, right? I mean, you know, even the post pizza, to me, that's the best pizza. But, you know, you tell people uh, where it is, and then they, uh, that's how it kind of happens, man. And even for us as a church, God is going to be the one who does it. God will be the one to bring the people. I was reading Pastor Chuck's commentary on this, and he said, you know, you as a leader, you don't have to promote it. God will do it. For him, it took 17 years. For 17 years, really not a whole lot is happening. Then eventually, boom, after like 20 years of ministry, eventually God began to do a work. But when God began to do a work, it was just amazing, the Calvary Chapel movement. It was a movement of God. It was a spirit of God working in the people of God. And so he tells a story about how one day he's driving home, and uh, he had just read a story in Time magazine about the young adults who went to a beach in San Diego and they were in the beach. There were 30 of them and they were naked. And it's just kind of like this big article about, you know, the youth nowadays and the young adults nowadays and where they're headed. And, you know, it's this article in Time magazine, 30 young adults naked in the beach in San Diego. And so Pastor Chuck is thinking, well, you know what? I should call the, the religion editor from Time magazine and tell them about our baptism tomorrow, how we're going to have a 1,000 young adults that are going to get baptized at Corona Del Mar. And he says, and then, I, you know, then, Lord, everybody will hear about the church and, you know, kind of like promote it. This is a great opportunity, right? And, and so as he's thinking about these things and the wheels are turning, he, says, he gets a, a, ves- a message from the Lord, and the Lord says, well, who's been your promotion manager up to this point? And Chuck says, well, you have, Lord. And then the Lord tells him, well, haven't I been doing a pretty good job? <laughs> and, and he says, well, as a matter of fact, yes, Lord. I'm so sorry. Lord, I repent. I'm not going to call the magazine or the newspaper and try to promote us, Lord. It's all in your hands. And so after repenting of his sin, he said, he goes home, opens up the door, and sees a stranger in his living room. Now, that was something that happened a lot back then because of the nature of the Jesus movement. But this particular stranger was different. His wife came up to him, uh, Kay, and she said, this gentleman right here is from Time Magazine, and he wants to do a story on what God is doing here in Calvary Chapel. And so you'll never guess the first question this guy asked Pastor Chuck. He said, hey, are you guys having a baptism or anything (laughs) coming up? And, And what God ministered to him as a leader in the church, is I'll take care of that. I mean, Manny, I know one day in that church over there, there's a lot of good churches, and you want all the people there because you care so much. You love them because I put my love in your heart for them. I'll do it. I'll do it. And that's exactly what we see here, man, almost the whole city coming to hear the word of the Lord. Now, you would figure that the synagogue leaders would be very happy about this, right? I mean, that so many people are coming, that it's packed out, it's overflowing, right? 
And so wouldn't you figure that they would be rejoicing over this? You would figure, but look at what happens in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. You know, there's a lot uh, of sadness in this passage. You know, uh, one of the things that you guys got to know is that, you know, whenever and wherever a true and genuine work of God is taking place, there will always be opposition, right? But to me, it's sad that it comes from the religious leaders. And it's super sad when you realize the reason they oppose them is because they saw the multitudes and they were filled with envy. You know, and I want to just warn you against envy. It's so ugly. It's uh, resentment. When, when you're resentful because someone else is successful or blessed. You know, sometimes I, I see it, you know, amongst ministries uh, in the church or from church to church, you know, where they get jealous of that person, this, that, or the other. There's a spirit of competitiveness. Let me tell you something. Kill it. Kill it because we're on the same team. Rejoice when people like the way that guy teaches or she sings or whatever it is, man, because we're on the same team. That's envy. You know, jealousy and envy, they're related, but they're a little different. Jealousy is when, you know, you want the good that they have. Envy is so ugly, it doesn't want them to have any good. And let me tell you something, I have seen it in the hearts of people in this church. It's an ugly thing. We have to make sure that we eradicate this from our lives, you know? There was one Greek philosopher, he was a, a student of Socrates. So a long time ago, he said this saying, it's survived all this time. It says, as rust corrupts iron, so envy corrupts man. You know, the reason we know that's true is because the Bible says the same thing. Proverbs 14.30, it says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Start rejoicing that your brother is blessed. Start celebrating that your sister is successful, and then your heart will be right, because if not, it'll destroy you. You know, we're all on the same team, right? I can pass it over to that guy. He hits a three-pointer. Praise God. We're all on the same team. You know, this is the reason we know the religious leaders delivered Jesus to die. We read that in Mark 15, 9 through 10, that Pilate even knew the reason they handed him over was because of envy. You know, I encourage you guys, watch out for this one, man. When you see your brother blessed, praise God. You know what they say, the only thing worse than your neighbor having an old car that makes a lot of noise is your neighbor having a new car that purrs like a kitten. Is that true? <laughs> no, you guys, we're all on the same team. I love 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26. It says, if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so here in Antioch, the religious leaders, they saw the hunger, the excitement, the movement of God. Almost the whole city showed up at the synagogue service. 
And when they saw it, they were filled with envy. You know, again, Pastor Chuck, he said this, whenever there is a powerful move of God, there are always those who are envious and they do what they can to put it down. It's amazing what people will say and do to discredit the work of God. And so when Calvary Chapel first started, it was just unexplainable the way that people were coming to the Lord. And, you know, the pastors in the other areas, they started getting jealous. And believe it or not, some of the things they said uh, were just crazy. One pastor told some of the people in the church that Pastor Chuck had a drinking problem. And the truth is he had never drank a drop of alcohol in his whole life. Another pastor told them that he had a yacht which he did not have a yacht, you know. Another pastor told some of the people that they were giving the hippies uh, Cokes and hot dogs for communion, you know. And is this crazy? The envy in the church. God help us to make sure we don't have that heart. You know, as a result of this, they blasphemed God. And Matthew 12, 31 says that's a, That's a sin that if you're not careful, if you resist the Holy Spirit, it's unforgivable. And so be really careful with this. As this all goes down, you know, these guys, you know, they're they're trying to shut him down. But Paul and Barnabas didn't back down. Notice what we read in verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life were bold and believed. Now, In this time, there was a priority uh, for the Jew first, and these guys acknowledge that when they're sharing. You know, it was for the Jew first because it was through them that they got the scriptures, they got the Savior, and really, not that God loves the Jews more, it's just that they were chosen to be saved and then to be sent, right? That's why even judgment begins first at the church. We're going to see that as we study Peter's epistle, but... Here we see the the Jew first called, chosen to be saved, and then sent out so that others would be saved. And that was a priority. We even read it in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so there was that national priority. But here's the thing, you guys. Generally speaking, the Jews did not accept the Messiah. They had a misconception about him. They thought he was going to come and save them from the Romans politically, when in all reality, the first mission of the Messiah was to save them from their sins spiritually, right? And so generally speaking, even the Bible said it, Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so, you know, you have it all in the the Bible. The Jews, generally speaking, wouldn't accept it. The Gentiles would. And you read that throughout the Bible. It says that, that, you know, the Chinese and the Chicanos, they're going to be the church, you know, that, you know, the non-Jews, they're going to be the ones that are going to get saved, right? 
And so it's all in the scriptures. And here uh, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 49 in verse 6. And it's just so beautiful. Notice again, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And Jesus identified himself as the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12, to defeat the darkness. You know that when you don't know the Lord, you're in the darkness. But what happens when you turn the light on? The darkness flees. The devil flees. The drugs flee. The drinking flees. The porn flees. It's there that the devil's defeated because of Jesus. He's the light of the world. And it goes even right here. It says, to the ends of the earth. This is why we have missionaries in Cambodia. You know, and I want to encourage you guys to be missionaries. You think that that job that you have is just to put money on the table? You know, that job that you have is because God has stationed you there to be a missionary. I'm not saying that you got to witness while you're getting paid, but I'm just saying shine and share. During your breaks, God will show you. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, you think that where you live is just because God's got a spot on the block for you and there's an address, whatever, and this is kind of the way one went down and I'm just kind of stuck here. No, God has you there to be a missionary. And wherever you go, you got to go to Walmart, you got to go to Target, you got to go Burger King. Wherever it is that you go, you're a missionary. That's why I even like, you know, I know everyone's different. Some people don't feel the same way I do about this. But that's why when I go to the gym, I make sure I wear a t-shirt about Jesus. And I don't know if people are reading it. Every once in a while I do. But I want to be a light. I want to tell the whole world about Jesus. That's why I live. That's why we're here. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Whether it's Cambodia Mexico, Nepal, El Monte, this is what it's all about, to be missionaries, right? Because uh, what ends up happening is that the Gentiles there in Antioch, they were glad, oh, cool, the Bible says we're going to get saved. It specifically points us out. They glorified the word of the Lord as a result of that. And look again at verse 48. It says, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They got saved. And let me just say this. This is the most important thing about the service today. You know, we want to glorify God, and that's our aim. But I tell you what, God loves us. God loves the world. The Son of Man was sent to seek and save that which is lost. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I just want you to know that he loves you. The Bible says he loves you. You're created in his image. You sinned. We've all sinned and separated ourselves from God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But his son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross for your sins. And like we read today, everyone who believes is forgiven. You know, today's Father's Day, you know, and, and I, I don't know where you're at because you just, man, I, I know as a church that some struggle with different things, depression, anxiety, suicide. You know, they just can't put their finger on it, but they feel like something's missing in their life, and they try to fill it up with all these other things, you know, and, and they go, and, and, they're, and they're sleeping with their girlfriend, and what they did is they put their girlfriend before God. How are you going to be blessed by God when you do stuff like that? Well, I can't stop. The, the only way you can't stop 
is if you're not a Christian. Because when you're a Christian, God lives in you. And you can stop. When I got saved, I stopped. And I waited till I got married. He helped me. He took the drug addiction away, the drinking away. He'll take you oh, the porn away. You know, we still sin, but man, we're not under the dominion of sin any longer. And, 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 and there was a day I gave my life to Christ. I made a decision. I, I just said, you know what? I'm tired. I need Jesus. And that day I made a decision to follow Christ. You know, if you're here today and you've never made that decision, that's the whole call. It's not me, it's God. It's Jesus saying to you, follow me. And I'll bless your life. He told Peter, I'll make you fishers of men. I will radically change your life. But you have to choose. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. That's not choosing. You have to choose to follow Christ. You need him. We all need him. We can't stand before God on our own righteousness. He loves you. But you have to choose. That's what they did that day. And they were saved. Today's Father's Day. It would be a great day for you to choose. You know, the Bible says in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You know, a lot of times the enemy puts thoughts, oh, God won't accept me. I've done this. I've been too bad. I've tried it before and it just doesn't seem to work. Man, I'll tell you what, don't let the enemy lie to you. Today's the day of salvation. You know, these guys got saved. Now, now some people, it's kind of funny, they'll look at a verse like that and they says, well, the Bible says right here that as many as were appointed, you know, to eternal life, they, they were the ones that, that got saved. And they kind of get stuck on stuff like that, right? You know, it's fate, it's fatalism, it's Calvinism, they say, and there's nothing we can really do about it because, you know, it's up to God whether we're chosen by him or not. And, and you know, just real quick, let me just address that. Pastor Chuck used to always say, you know, don't get stuck on stuff like that. Choose. You're free to choose. And then one day when you go to heaven and we have our carne asada uh, uh, re reunion in heaven, when you go into heaven, you're going to see a sign that says Chosen. I don't know. You're like, well, that blows my mind. Yeah, it's supposed to. <laughs> it's God's sovereignty. It's man's responsibility. Not only that, you know what it says right here? Look what it says in verse 46. It says, since you reject it, you reject it, you judge yourselves. It's, it's there. It's on them. It's up to us to accept or reject. The truth is man is a free moral agent to make that decision. And if you're here today and you call on the name of the Lord, then you will be saved. Let's, you know, that, that word, well, there's a word appointment. First uh, Peter 1, 2, we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He looks down the quarters of time and he sees his hearts are inclined towards him and he chooses them and he makes an appointment with them, so to speak. You guys ever make appointments? Have you ever made an appointment to go to the dentist? 
You're like, no, never, I won't go to the dentist. Well, you know how it is when you're appointed, when you make an appointment, they write it down, they put it in their computer, but you have something to do with it. Same thing with this, right? And so people get saved, and verse 49, it says, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, and that means it was probably some legal you know, thing that they rose up and persecuted Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it's so cool to see what happens here. And there's a lot of lessons for us to learn you know, they shook off the dust when they left the city because that city was going to get judged and they wanted nothing to do with that. And so it was a warning against them. But not only that, you know, when you, when you see these guys who are serving the Lord and they're like, these are apostles, man. Let me ask you a question. Was their life smooth? Was it easy for them? Absolutely not, man. Like I said earlier, and you got to understand it, Whenever and wherever and whoever is used by God, they will suffer persecution. They will experience opposition. It comes in many forms. But the thing that we see that is so beautiful right here is even though they got hit hard, they split with joy. Did you notice that? How many of us here would be leaving the city like Eeyore? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I wanted everybody to get saved. Only a remnant got saved. And then they took us to court there at the city gates, and they told us that we had to leave. But, man, it says that they left. It says, and they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Man, what a difference it is that... You know, when, when you're a Christian and when, and when you're not, you know, when you're not and you're walking in the flesh, you're walking around, you're filled with envy. But when you're a person who loves the Lord and you're a Christian, you're filled with spirit, then, man, you're, you're filled with joy no matter what takes place in your life, right? I mean, when you look at this right here, you might wonder, well, how can they be filled with joy after being rejected by men? And the answer is, you're accepted by God. Well, how can they be filled with joy when they're driven out of the city? And the answer, of course, is because they have a city in heaven. I mean, the devil cannot take your joy away because you have peace with an understanding that it's all part of his plan. You see? And I've told you guys this before, huh? That joy, what is joy? It's peace dancing. That's what it is. So do you guys have joy? Got joy? Yeah, come on. So you're going to dance? Come on, Ruben. <laughs> you know, I mean... I mean, I'm not trying to make it superficial or anything, you know. I'm not talking about happiness, uh, you know, be happy. I'm not talking about that. Happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is no matter what the circumstances. Why? Because I know that God is working 
all things together for good. And you're like, well, what good can come out of this? Duh, it's obvious. They're going to the next city to do what? To preach the gospel. And my friend, that's why we go through what we go through. Believe it or not, the heartaches, tragedies, they're all part of God's plan to preach the gospel. And isn't that what we want to do? How many of you here want the whole wide world to get saved? Don't you? Lord, use my life. And so if you're here, you see all those hands that went up right here? They want you to get saved, okay? So do it today.